in John chapter 8, verse 31, John writes, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Let's pray. Father, I love you and I adore you, Father God. I thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to share in this. And I pray, Father God, that as I, it draws to completion, Father, that there is... Um, uh, it's instructive, Father, first and foremost, that people are learning something about the faith and about their interactions with others, Father, that is important and that um, they can be applied in their lives, Father. I pray for that, God. I pray for the practical aspects of everything that we talk about and everything that we do, Father. At the same time, Father God, I pray, Lord, that we also are stirred by it. I pray, God, that we're drawn close together, that we want to be with each other more and we want to be impactful in, in the lives of each other more. I pray for that now, Father God. I pray, God, that we that we get a lively faith out of this, Father. This kind of a study, Father, gives us that, that deep desire, Lord, to, um, to love each other and to care about each other, Father God, and to be actively involved uh, participants, Lord, in, in, in all the lives of this church. Father God, bless us and draw us together. Give us the, the blessing of your Holy Spirit, Father God, and a, and a deep love that only you can give, that supernatural work, Father God that, that uh, salvation brings, which is that great love we have for each other. Lord, we ask you please now to bless us, Lord, in the name of, of Christ I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so he gives us this. And he, he says, how is it that you say you... you that, that they ask him, how is it that you say you will become free? Now, what I, one of those things I really love about the way Jesus does his business is that he, he brings this up and, and he gets asked a question... And then he almost always gives them an answer that has nothing to do with their question. He answers what really needs to be said. And that is, down in verse 37, he says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. So, you know, they ask him, you know, how is it so you'll become free? And he doesn't, he answers that, but he gets to the real question. He says, look, you know, I know you're, you're ethnically Jewish. I know that ethically you're Jews. But this is not a matter of blood. This is a matter of spirit. It's not a matter of, of who your mother was, who your father was, or who your ancestors are. It is a matter of, of the heart and a matter of, of the spirit. And, and if that's wrong, then it doesn't matter who you belong to in terms of your family. And so he says, so I speak of, of what I have seen um, he said, after that, he says, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. So he, he draws this line. He says, first off, he says, you know, he says that my word have, finds no place in you, that the measuring stick for our lives is our obedience to and our um, submission to the word. That's the measuring stick. So for everything that we do, Roger, everything that we say in this, it is how is my relationship with God via the word? Is the word changing me? Or am I trying, Brother Chris, to change the word? Now, I'm, I'm picking on Brother Chris about that. Just He pays such good attention. He, I'm drawn to him when I want to speak. Here's the reality, Katie, is that, um, is that I spent a significant amount of my 51 years trying to change the word to suit my behavior and not change my behavior to suit the word. I hate to speak of it in, in that way because it, it can sound so legalistic. It can sound moralistic. I don't mean it that way. But what I mean is this, is that when I'm truly born again, when my heart and my spirit, my life has been transformed, then now I can truly be an image bearer of God. When all of that happens, 
my, my behavior is supposed to come along with it. My tongue, the thoughts of my mind, the attitudes of my heart are supposed to come along with it. When they don't, there's where the disconnect is. Whenever we speak of this idea of my being the keeper of a brother, my, my uniting my life with brothers older and younger than myself, and we, we, we strive to serve Christ together, whenever we do that, it's always a matter of my taking on a responsibility for their behavior and they're taking on a responsibility for my behavior. And in our beginning to point out to each other, have you submitted that? Have I submitted this? Because I know the, the, the problem in my life, and I can just speak to myself, I know the problem in my life has been quite simple. Has been, there were things I readily submitted to the Lord, but there have been things along the way I didn't want to submit. I didn't want God to take everything. When, when we met, me and the, the other two pastors met tonight just to talk and share burdens and those kinds of things, because we feel like we've got a lot of burdens. We feel like the room feels very heavy. Nowadays, even though God blesses us so much as a church, we feel very heavy nowadays. One of those things that we talked about was 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 joy and happiness. You know, we can feel like as brothers, and we can feel as you study the scriptures that that it's it's supposed to be almost drudgery. You know, that we're not supposed to have moments of levity, but that's just simply not true. We have this depth of brotherhood so that we can share those burdens so that we don't feel just overwhelmed by every single burden. When you're that guy, and I've been that guy without brothers like the two I've got, when I felt like I was at that very pointy top. Do you know what I mean? And that I didn't have anybody I could rely on. I didn't have anybody I could share this burden with or that burden with. I had to carry everything in secret. I had to fear every family problem and every secret that's told to me by by family member or church member who wanted me to pray for it. And I just felt so just overwhelmed by all those things. It's it's a difficult way to, to, to live without having someone to share those burdens. When we are in that deep brotherhood, we are in that sisterhood, we get to share those burdens. We don't, Brother Rudy, we don't have to, to live a joyless existence because we get to live an existence that's made alive because we're with others. You don't have to carry all your problems. You don't have to have all the answers. What the Bible is abundantly clear about, if I could address it thematically, is, is that I don't have any answers. By myself, I have no answer to any problem. By myself, I have no answer to my disappointment. By myself, I have no answer to, to my regrets. I've got no answer to those things. I, they're just, they're just they're things that that have no solution. I think I've said that before and I don't want to sound like I'm just this wise old sage because I'm not. I've just, I managed to not be so hard-headed and dumb along the way that I've learned a couple of things. The thing that God does with you allows in your life that it's so difficult is when you imagine things are, are, need to be this way and they don't turn out that way. When you have to deal with what God didn't bless you with or what you didn't do that maybe you felt like you should have done. Kids ask me that all the time. Do you wish you'd done this? Like, I get asked about the military a lot. Do you wish you'd stayed in the military? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes. 
Sometimes. I get asked, do you wish you'd stay with teaching? Yeah, all the time. If I'd stayed in teaching, I would have actually, I might have gone home for sand did. If I'd stayed with it and never, never got out of it. From the, I would have probably gone home a year or two before sand did. That's how long I've been around it. I mean, seriously. But at the same time, though, like I tell them, that I would be going home, but I actually like teenagers now more than I did in my 30s. A lot more. A lot more. Um, Jane, what opens your eyes is when you get your own, right? Before I got my own, they were pretty horrible. Once I got my own, they're pretty normal. Because I realized mine were just as insane as everybody else's. Before that, when I was a youth pastor, I thought, poor little kids, I'm going to do so much better. No, I raised kids just like them. Despite all the know-how and the dedication, it turned out exactly like everybody else's. I'm way more patient with them. To be truthful, um, Sandra mentioned when I said something one time about retiring, and Sandra said, you know, you had a friend, maybe retired, like, how old was she? It's like in her 70s at school. And I thought to myself, if, if I did that, I would probably be wasting my most fruitful days actually in the school because I'm way better cut out to do it right now than I was 20 years ago. Way more, I see more value in it right now than I did 20 years ago. Now, Joe, it took a lot for the Lord to open my eyes about that because my back hurts. Do you understand what I'm saying, buddy? Where you start getting thinking, physically, it might be nice to just fish. Right? Sit in a rocking chair. But spiritually, spiritually, it's so much better to be who I am right now, facing what I face. Spiritually, I've got so much more to give. I had nothing to give in my 30s and very little in my 40s. In my 50s, I actually got a little something to give back. So I'm not discouraged by that. That's actually a really good thing. But it takes some thinking about it. It takes seeing things from God's perspective to do that. So that's a difficult thing, dealing with those regrets. Let, let's move on because I've, I've kind of followed a tangent. And for that, I do apologize. But, well, I just kind of go as, as the Lord leads me. Um, in our notes, it says this. Making our earthly home in and of the Word of God, giving our lives to teach and preach, <laughs> believing in and applying the Word of God, even when it hurts us personally. That's one of those things I wanted to bring up about all of us. And it's part of that idea of brotherhood. Because we're brotherhoods in the Scriptures and, and by way of the Scriptures. I mean, um, I mean, Joe, my brotherhood with you and your brotherhood with me is always a slave to the Scriptures. Um, I can be on, Joe can be on my side, but if I'm theologically wrong, Joe owes it to me to tell me. Because if I can't trust Joe to tell me, I can't trust anybody to tell me. I need people to tell me, Brian and Kyle and Buddy and, 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 and all my leadership and all the people I know and, and love and care about, I'm, you guys, to tell me. Because if, I, if, I, if you don't, who's going to tell me? Because I'm not going to listen to an enemy if I think they're an enemy. I'm going to listen to my, my, my friends. I'm going to listen to my family. So we're always, we always have that discipline of the Word around us. Because what we're promoting in each other is a, is a defined Christ-likeness that comes from the Scriptures. The problem in it is, and this is a turn of phrase that I, it's mine, and I, I don't apologize for paying attention to it, even when it hurts us personally. 
I think it's the hardest thing in the world about, about really following God is there going to come times when we have to believe things that affect us personally. I have to believe things when it feels like I'm guilty of them. Say, there's a, there's a very blessed kind of hypocrisy. And what I mean by that is, please, please listen for the definition. What I mean by that is this. Pastors and Sunday school teachers and fathers and mothers are going to have to, for all the time, insist that certain things are biblically wrong when they have violated that in their lives. When they're guilty of it. If I have lustful thoughts in my life, I still have to stand before you and say that lustful thoughts are wrong. If I have bitterness in my life, I still have to, and, unfor and, and, and an unforgiving heart, I still have to come in and tell you that, that it's... And be honest. I'm not saying lie. I'm saying come in and be honest about my shortcomings and say, but still, having an unforgiving heart is sinful before a righteous God. I have to come in and do that. I have to come in and talk about things. You've got to go into your Sunday school classes and among each other and talk about things, folks, when you're struggling with it yourself. When you're not good at it yet. Because if you're the standard, then it's a pretty doggone easy standard for everybody to meet, isn't it? If as good as a human being can get is Stephen, then that's there's not much to aspire to. I'm not picking on Stephen. There's just not much to aspire to there. We aspire to Christ. He is infinitely competent in things that we're never going to achieve, brother. We're never going to get there. But that doesn't mean we stop striving for them. There is that, we talked about tonight, when, what we mean with the guys, that, that brass ring. There's some brass rings that they were trying to reach. And one of those is that, that living the image of Christ. And living in an uncontradictory way. Now it's difficult when we have to insist on those things. And I have to say to Brother Buddy, Brother Buddy, I understand your, your difficulty. This is what the scriptures say. But let me, let me share with you. I'm guilty too. I'm a sinner too. Let me show you how I've struggled. You know, some brother comes to me with an addiction and say, I know you're an addict, but let me tell you what my addiction was. Let me share with you mine. It's very hard to do that and really honor what I believe God's really telling us to do here. It's very hard to do that and keep that pride. It means you start really being an open person. You don't have that false pride that most of us get because we, we keep things hidden. We start to get to where we have to tell people about our faults. Now, I'm not saying that we're just overrun with pride, but I think most people have too much decorum and a little too much pride to be able to stand up in front of the church and say how they fail. Right? We'll speak about it in, in general terms, but really say, this is my, these, are my, these are my sins. I think most of us have a hard, hard time with that. I don't blame you for having a hard time for it. I have a hard time with it too. What I've learned about my failings is this. Every time I've gone in front of a group and said, let me tell you how I was addicted to this. Let me tell you how this almost ruined my life. There was somebody there that, that was exactly like me. That God uses my failures more than he has ever used my strengths. I don't have enough strength to sway anybody. 
But I messed up enough time for him to tell me, saying to me, saying this to, to me to, when I, we were counseling. He said, he said, I'm a, I'm a, just a failure. And my retort was, I'm too. You know why you can't bring up in around me doing something for a living besides preaching? Because I've done everything in the world for a living and never stuck with any of it. I've failed at virtually everything I've ever done in my life. A flat failure. It is just by the grace of God that I've been able to feed my family with my ability to do anything. And so I'm like, okay, here we are brothers. You think you're a failure? I'm a failure too. Let's pray and let's seek God's face and we'll find deliverance. Practicing that kind of spiritual and scriptural integrity and fidelity. So we're going to practice scriptural, spiritual integrity, integrity, resistance to, to unneeded change, right? We know what we believe and we stand for what we believe. And fidelity, faithfulness to the scriptures. We know what they are, we know what they, what they say and what they preach. And we're not going to abandon them just because it feels right to do that. Just because it's expedient. Is abiding in the word that Jesus speaks of so strongly in this passage. That's, that, that's it. That's that abiding in the word. When he talks about you abide in the word, he means that it is, it is starting to formulate everything that you are. So when we as a people, hand in hand, together, brothers and sisters in Christ, abide in the word, when we do that, it's because we've embraced it in every way. We are now we're becoming a people informed by the scriptures. What Kimberly thinks about every issue is what the Bible says. Not what she's inclined to think. Because I, I, I know Kimberly pretty well, pretty close to our family. But I won't say I know every single thing about her. But I know her pretty well. But Kimberly, like, and, and Katie, and Melanie, and Tony, and Roger, and Buddy, and all of us, will play fast and loose with the Scriptures when it suits our purposes, won't we? We will wonder if the Bible really says what it says when we feel like it is against what we want to think or feel or believe. That is human nature. And it is the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Now look, these, the Jews who were opposing Christ were to begin with belief and grow into abiding in order to become disciples. So they begin with that the core belief, they grow into abiding, and then they're real disciples, they're really students of, of Christ. Once disciples, they would truly know the truth of God through His Word and His divine revelation of Himself. From that point of biblical maturity, freedom was theirs. Now I think that's the way I see it. I think that's the fantastic thing about it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Is that there's freedom in biblical maturity and there's always a measure of bondage when we are not mature as we should be. That for me to grow up, Ryan, in Christ, be a man in Christ... Not a man the way the world teaches, not a man the way someone else might insist, but a man the way the Bible models. For me to grow up and be a man in Christ, replete with flaws and shortcomings and, and honesty about those things. 
means that I am now free and not burdened at, or, or bound or enslaved at all. Now, I, let me to, to share with you how I, how I envision that. And I hope I don't do it in a way that's, that's, too, that's too obtuse, too strange. I think most of my life, I have been absolutely a slave to my shame. I knew there were ways I was supposed to be, and I was supposed to conduct myself, and I was supposed to be toward my family, and supposed to be in my job, or in dealing with money, or all those things that are really important, to be honest with you, in this world. Money's not everything, but money is important. In all those ways, and I felt so ashamed of myself, because I wasn't the man I was supposed to be. I felt so ashamed of myself because I wasn't the man I was supposed to be in my thoughts, in my thought processes, and what I thought about. I felt so ashamed of myself in terms of, of, of my leading of my family. And when God has blessed me to become more and more, I'm not saying I'm complete, more and more mature to the point that I can start to be honest about all those shortcomings, suddenly I'm not enslaved to Him anymore. So what if you know? I told you. When I'm hiding it, when I'm fleeing from it, do you understand what I mean? When I'm running away to who I've been a significant portion of my life, I am absolutely in bondage to it. When I, when I confront it and I'm honest about it, and in my maturity I can use it. When I can walk up to somebody on the street and say, let me tell you how I've failed in my life. When I can do that, I'm, I, there's no more bondage. It's not that I'm glad, but I'm not bound by shame anymore. I'm not a prisoner anymore. Satan has nothing to hold over my head. Because I will literally walk up to people and tell them all the dirty things I've ever done. Walk right up to them and say, use it in a testimony and have many times. I'm not saying I'm good. I'm not saying I know so much. I'm saying that one of those things that this maturity does is lead us to be absolutely honest about ourselves. We spend so much time trying to lie. Paint this picture of who we, who we want people to believe we are. And underneath that is that core of just the most bitter shame. Because there's nothing worse in this world than being shamed of yourself. There's just nothing worse than that. When you live in utter shame... And there's nothing better than when you're just honest. This is who I am. All of a sudden, you can walk up to anybody and say, "This is this is me." Here, here's my here's here's my faults, and you'll be surprised how lost people respond to that when they realize they're talking to somebody that's as screwed up as they are, messed up. <clears throat> In like fashion. It will be ours in the same manner if we are disciplined and for the church a gorgeous gift of love and faith if we work to disciple others. So, so growing in maturity is going to be the greatest gift in the world when we, can, when we, are, we, have, we have biblical knowledge coupled with an, an, an intimate honesty about ourselves that's freeing. That's freeing when, that's, when we can just tell not because we're proud but because we just simply 
can't dwell in shame another day. When we can do that and say, this is who we are, we get that. And when we inspire that in others, when we become truly a confessing church, truly confessing, um, you can't get anything over on us. You can't get anything on us, Chris, because we'll tell you in the first 30 seconds everything we've ever done wrong. We're not trying to hide anything. We're not, there's no pretense here, Joe. We're not pretending we're somebody we're not. We're not pretending that we're without sin. Because when Christ says, grab the stone, you're without sin, none of us takes it. Because we're honest about who we are. We can inspire that in others. Though it be hard, we know that Christ will bless the endeavor of each believer in every church to grow personally in the Lord and to, being, to bringing others along with us. You know, our Lord assures the heart of two inevitabilities. The coming of difficult times and circumstances. That's the first. Along the way, the only thing that my eyes have been opened about is, is I've counseled people, especially people struggling, was that as I counseled them in real struggles, in the back of my mind, I kept saying, this is going to be great while we're in this room together. Their problem's going to be when they go out that door and something bad happens. When I used to counsel drug addicts and alcoholics and people who were really, really struggling, whose sins were on the outside. They'd, they'd gone to jail. They'd had problems. They'd been in the paper. There was no hiding anything. They would be, you know, they would come in and be so enthusiastic. A lot of them had just got out of rehab and they were so enthusiastic. They'd been spending, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, nothing but the Word. Do you know what I mean? They were really into the Scriptures. And so they were, they were really on fire. But Brother Chris, the thing I always said was this. They're so on fire until a bill comes due and they know it's coming due and they don't have enough money and their lights get cut off. And, and everybody I knew in that community went through that very thing. You know, they, they really didn't have much money and then something happens and they're short. And now all of a sudden they've got to deal with their problems. How? Either through prayer or the way they dealt with every problem they'd ever had in their life which was drugs or alcohol, right? Hard times, difficult circumstances are absolutely inevitable. And when you're trying to grow and really surrender in Christ, don't think that somehow you get a reprieve till you get your feet under you. Because it simply does not happen. Just like my, my friends who are, who are addicts or alcoholics, those friends Always, I and mean, it wasn't that there were, I knew one person that never had, every one of them would face that moment when something did not work out that they wanted to work out so badly. Every one of them, without exception, had to face that time when they'd sit in their, part, or their, their, their house or their trailer in the dark, not knowing how they were going to get the lights turned back on. Without enough money to pay the bill, and what could they do? They could buy some drugs, or they could save that money and try to find a little more and get the lights turned back on. Or they could call me. They have that decision. Flee into what they'd fled every negative thing in their lives into it. Or face. Face the problem. Well, here's the point. Is this, I use my, use my friends who we counsel through, through addiction this way. Everybody in this room has got something besides Jesus that we use to deal with our problems. Everybody does. Yours may not be illegal. Food. food. Absolutely food. 
Hey, let me tell you, when I was struggling in the ministry, and I mean in the pastorate, when it was really, really, really hard, I made it through, sinfully, survived. I would say make it through, survived by, this will sound so bad, so people listen to this and you know, may feel, think less of me, um, eating too much, eating my feelings, and the walking dead. I remember going home so heartbroken, so heartbroken. And instead of praying, sitting there with Caleb right beside me and my iPad watching that TV show because I could forget everything in the world and just concentrate on what was going on on that screen. All right, I could forget it. Now, that's just as sinful it's just not illegal, Chris. It's not illegal to eat too much. It's not illegal to watch a TV show. But it was just as sinful because in no way, shape, or form was I surrendering that to Christ. I was killing my time. I was killing the feeling. It was exactly the same mechanism, wasn't it? It just what I, what I reverted into happened to be legal. It's the same thing, though. So here's the point. Hard times always come. We are a people who deal with hard times by facing them and surrendering them to, in prayer to Christ. And not by, not by watching a ball game. Or another bowl of ice cream. Now listen to me. If you want to have another bowl of ice cream, have another bowl of ice cream because it's good. Okay? But don't have another bowl of ice cream because you had a horrible day at school day and the only way you can get through is to have another bowl of ice cream. Do you understand the difference? It sounds so slight, but it's not, it's not, it's totally polar opposites. One is doing it because we just don't think we can make it. And the other is doing it because of joy. If you, if you like ice cream, eat another bowl of ice cream. Enjoy it. Don't overdo it. Don't do too much, but enjoy it. But here's the thing. I would do things, some of these things, guys. And here's the, blunt, here's the very blunt truth. I would do some of these things and it wouldn't even, I wouldn't even enjoy it. Sit down and gobble down my food and just eat and eat and eat and never have any joy in it at all. Because it tasted bitter in my mouth. Hard times will always come. Part of what we're doing here is learning how to surrender those hard times, those terrible times, to Christ and not use other mechanisms to deal with them. And the other one was this. And the provision and encouragement of God during those times. Here's the issue that I think I'm so angry with myself about when I struggled so much in my life was I'm resorting to these things to deal with my problems when I've got a, an infinite heavenly Father who is literally just waiting there to pour out encouragement on me. All I had to do was just say it. God, help me. And He was will rain down those blessings upon me. I didn't receive because I didn't ask. If you're not receiving in your life right now, you're not receiving because you're not asking. Because you're, you're finding another way to get by. And look here. A little bit of pridefulness in the face of your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister to want to do it on your own. Do you understand what I mean? To want to kind of be a man or a woman and do it on your own is, is I think, a it's not, we shouldn't do it. But it's understandable, right? Everyone in this room who's moved out of their mom and daddy's house never wanted to move back, right? Not because they were so terrible. Because you wanted to do it on your own, didn't you? 
You want to show everybody that you're grown up and you can do it on your own. But pridefulness in the face of my heavenly Father, saying to him, you know what, Father, I know you want to help me get through school today, but I'm going to do this on my own. That's not, that's never healthy. The reason why he's done, we, we have so many difficult circumstances in our lives, is because he wants to pour out those blessings on us. It's because he wants us hurting. He wants us struggling. Because we'll never cry out. If my bank account's always full and I always have all the health in the world and everybody in my family's always happy and everything's always great, I'm never going to cry out. But when everything goes to pot in an instant, where do I have to turn? I have to turn to Jesus. He wants me dependent and not independent. He wants me dependent upon Him in everything. God dependent completely. Just a few more moments. Um, David writes this in Psalm 50, verse 15. He said, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. Start reading those things as promises. Call upon me in the day of the Lord. I will deliver you. Not I might or I'm capable of or if I feel like it. He promises deliverance. When you're in the day of trouble... Cry out for deliverance. Now, before we close, real fast, what we can't, the trap we can't fall into, just in terms of instruction, is this. Is Chris thinking that I can define deliverance for God? You know, sometimes I have money problems, and God's deliverance is to show me where I don't need to spend more money. And I need to save it. Right? Sometimes I think when, when I want deliverance is that God tells me how I can pay for all that junk I don't need. Right? That's the deliverance most people want, right? And he may be saying, no, wait a second, you don't need this. Streamline your life and I'll, there's your deliverance. Or, you know, you're having problems at, uh, you're having problems, you know, with, with a person. And his deliverance is, uh, Stephen impressed upon my heart that I need to go and apologize. I've been thinking all along they need to come apologize to me because I'm prideful. And he's saying, no, you need to go apologize. See, there's deliverance, right? I, I'm, I'm troubled because of a relationship. The deliverance he gives me is not necessarily the deliverance I want. I'm having trouble with a person, and maybe his deliverance is you don't need to be with them anymore. Okay? Hey, for anybody here who's struggled, who struggled with, with maybe things that we don't, that we don't need to have in our lives, and maybe those things are attached to some people, I guarantee God has said to us at times, look, you think they're a friend, but they're not a friend. But I've known them since kindergarten, and they've been rotten since kindergarten. And their being in your life is not helping you at all. Look, like I said, back to my friends that, who, were in, who, were, who struggled with, with drugs and alcohol, every single one of those people was surrounded by a whole bunch of people they did not need to have did not need to have anything to do with ever again in their lives. Their deliverance was to turn their back on some people. To know who really loves them and cares about them. To cling to their family. And not, to be honest with you, a bunch of bums. But it's hardly ever the deliverance they want, right? The, God's, the deliverance that God gives is, is a deliverance that's God-defined by His sovereignty. 
And that the worst mistake we can make in terms of seeking his deliverance is start to define that deliverance for him. Say, God, I want deliverance, but this is how I want it. God gives us what we need. He gives us what will make us grow, not necessarily what we want. Let's pray. Father God, I love and adore you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to, and to study and to pray together. Father God, I pray, God, that I, that I did this rightly, Father God, that I did not fall uh, too much to the wayside. But I also pray, Father God, that I, have, uh, that I have pleased you, God, with everything that's been said here tonight. Father God, I ask, please, God, that you bless my church, that you bless us, God, to grow together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Father God, and that you allow us, Lord, to... to to see, God, the, 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 the fruit in, in each other's lives, Father God, so that we are encouraged by what you're doing in our midst, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.